Amen. Without water, we are dead. Water is life. Water is such a powerful image God uses to describe not only his work of giving and sustaining life, but also to describe himself as the source of this life, both in this life and for the life of the world to come. Water points to God's promises to care for and renew, restore his creation. In Genesis, a river flows out of Eden to water the garden of God's first creation. In Ezekiel's vision of the new creation, water flows from the threshold of the temple, the place of God's presence. From the temple's sanctuary, water flows into a river that makes the leaves of trees on both sides of it bear fruit every month. In the new Jerusalem of John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth, the temple is now the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. From their throne flows the river of the water of life. And on both sides of this river of the new creation, the leaves of the tree of life bear fruit each month. What we have here is a recurring theme. No, much more than that, an all-encompassing cosmic image, indeed a sweeping account of God's unfolding intent and promised fulfillment for his creation. What we have here is nothing less than a Trinitarian economy of salvation a Trinitarian epiphany, we might say, that moves from God's life-given presence and activity in his first creation and later among his people in his holy temple to his life-restoring, all-encompassing presence in the new Jerusalem, in a restored Eden. At the center of this cosmic Trinitarian account of salvation is the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who hovered over those waters of God's first creation and in the Johannine literature is portrayed as a river of water that gives life and nourishes everything, for that matter, everyone it touches and heals on its path. In the Western Church, we confess the Holy Spirit as the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father filioque, that is, from the Father and the Son. Now that creedal confession draws directly from John's Trinitarian vision of salvation history, which speaks of the Holy Spirit as the one who proceeds from the Father to remain on the incarnate Son, and as the one who is then handed over to the church from the glorified Son. But the more basic biblical image that shapes these accounts so beautifully with remarkable simplicity and depth at the same time is that of the river of life that flows out of Eden, out of the temple, and therefore out of the realm of God's own presence, indeed out of God himself. The Holy Spirit is the river of life that flows 
out of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Here the metaphorical and the ontological come together in the familiar image of the life-giving water, describing both the Spirit's works for us as well as his relationship to the Father and the Son. For John, the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water, is inseparably united to Christ, who is both God's temple in our midst and the giver of the Holy Spirit to the church. It is no accident that Jesus promises to give rivers of living waters to those who would believe in him while teaching in the temple courts. Jesus has replaced the temple. Just as the river of life flows out of the temple in Ezekiel and out of the throne of the Lamb who is the temple in Revelation, so the Holy Spirit will flow out of the glorified Son upon whom the Spirit rests. As God's temple, Jesus is the source of the Spirit, the one who hands over the Spirit from his Father to us. Between that first creation and the new creation, between the back then and the not yet, stands the Son as the bearer and the giver of the Spirit. But in John's grand story of salvation, the rivers of living water will only flow from the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is upon the Lamb that the Spirit remains in John 1. And it is from and through the Lamb that the Spirit is given to others in John 19, which means that between the old and the new stands the cross, which opens the way through the Spirit to a resurrection unto eternal life in the new creation. John states the same thing when he tells readers of his gospel that Jesus' teaching at the temple courts concerning the rivers of living water is a reference to the Holy Spirit who has not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The glorification for John begins with the lifting up of the sun on the cross. And it is from the cross that Jesus hands over his pneuma, that is, his spirit, a reference to his death. But in John's highly symbolic gospel, also a promise fulfilled, the promise of the Holy Spirit given for you. From the pierced side of Christ, from the temple of his body, flowed blood and water as one would expect after water was poured upon the altar where the sacrificed lamb had been offered to God in the temple. In the New Jerusalem, the lamb who bears in his body the marks of the cross sits on the throne and we, the nations, reap the benefits of eternal life from the river of water. But that vision of the future is already yours now. For the glorified Son has not kept the Spirit to himself, but has handed him over to you from his cross. And so his Spirit now dwells in you, making you temples of the Holy Spirit, becoming in you a spring of water welling up 
to eternal life. For John, to have the Spirit and life means not only to believe in the Son whom the Father has sent, but also to share in his resurrection at the last day. And so the one whose temple was destroyed but raised it again in three days now dwells in you through his Spirit, making you participants in his resurrection at the last day. Who is thirsty for water out there? Who is dead and needs the water of life? There is enough water. There is enough Holy Spirit for everyone. The river of life never runs dry. There is water even for the Samaritan. Indeed, there is water for the nations. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Amen. <laughs>